This is a message by Pastor Mark Fox of Antioch Community Church in Elon, North Carolina. For other sermons from Antioch, you can visit the church website at antiochchurchnc.org. Now, let's turn our hearts to the Word of God. Now there was a famine in the land. Besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham, and Isaac went to Gerar to Abimelech, the king of the Philistines. And the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and your offspring I will give all these lands. And I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and will will give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So Isaac settled in Gerar. When the men of the palace asked him about his wife, he said, She is my sister. For he feared to say, My wife, thinking, lest these men of the palace should kill me because of Rebekah, because she was attractive in appearance. When he had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out of a window and saw Isaac laughing with Rebekah, his wife. So Abimelech called Isaac and, page turn, said, Behold, she is your wife. How then could you say she is my sister? Isaac said to him, Because I thought, lest I die because of her. Abimelech said, What is this you have done to us? One of my people might easily have lain with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech warned all the people, saying, Whoever touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. And Isaac sowed in the land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. The Lord blessed him, and the man became rich and gained more and more until he became very wealthy. He had possessions of flocks and herds and many servants, so that the Philistines envied him. Now the Philistines had stopped and filled the earth um, and filled with earth all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father. And Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you are much mightier than we. So Isaac departed from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water that had been dug in the days of Abraham his father, which the Philistines had stopped after after the death of Abraham. And he gave them the names that his father had given them. But when Isaac's servants dug in the valley and and found... there a well of spring water. The herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, The water is ours. So he called the name of the well Essek, because they, can, they contended with him. Then they dug another well, and they quarreled over that also. So he called its name Sitna. And he moved from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it. So he called its name Rehoboth, saying, For now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. From there he went up to Beersheba, and the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham your father. Fear not, for I am with you and will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. So he built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servants dug a well. When Abimelech went to him from Gerar with Ahuzah, his advisor, and Pitkal, the commander of his army, Isaac said to them, Why have you come to me? seeing that you hate me and have sent me away from you. They said, we see plainly that the Lord has been with you. So we said, let there be a swarm pact between us, between you and us, and let, them make, and let us make a covenant with you. 
that you will do us no harm, just as we have not touched you and have, not done, and have done to you nothing but good, and have sent you away in peace. You are now the blessed of the Lord. So he made them a feast, and they ate and drank. In the morning they rose early and exchanged oaths, and Isaac sent them on their way, and they departed from him in peace. That same day Isaac's servants came and told him about the well they had dug and said to him, We have found water. He called it Sitba. Therefore, the name of the city's is Beersheba to this day. Amen. Good morning, church. How's everybody? Thank you, Laura Beth. You know, as Laura Beth was reading that chapter, did anybody think, hey, I've seen this movie before? Yeah, this chapter sounds a lot like chapter 20 in the last section of chapter 21. Abraham lied to Abimelech about his wife. Then he entered into a covenant with Abimelech after a dispute over wells. I mean, what's going on here? You're not imagining things. Most scholars believe that Moses wrote this because, number one, it's true, and the sins of the fathers are often passed on to their sons. But the second reason is, is to connect for the children of Israel the clear, clear link between Abraham and Isaac. There's no question that Isaac is the child of promise, the man of promise, and God's blessing is upon him just as it was upon Abraham. God has the whole world in his hands and all the stories of all the people of God in the world since time immemorial, and that includes you and I, all the stories are linked to the story, the great story. We are children of Abraham and we struggle with the same weaknesses, we struggle with the same sins, and yet we also walk in the same, listen saints, we walk in the same powerful blessing that was upon Abraham and that was upon Isaac. And that's good news. You know, the promise that God gave Isaac that he did not articulate to Abraham, although Abraham knew this, but what God says here to Isaac is new. He says, I will be with you. That is for us. Through the storms, the Lord will lead us, right? For he is the Lord. Let's look at this passage today under three main points. Promise renewed, deception repeated, sojourn blessed. So there's a famine in Isaac's life, just as there was a famine in his father's life. And in this case, God visits Isaac when he goes to Gerar. And Gerar is still part of the promised land. He didn't leave the promised land. Isaac never will. But God visits him. And when he goes to the king of the Philistines and God tells Isaac what not to do, and he tells him what to do. Don't you love it when God makes it that plain to us? Hey, Mark, don't do this. And instead, do this, right? And this, and this, and this. Well, that's exactly what he does to Isaac. First of all, what does he say? Don't do this. Don't go to Egypt. But then he says, here's what I want you to do. Number one, dwell in the land. I, I will tell you where. Trust me, dwell in the land. Number two, sojourn in the land, right? In other words, hey, Isaac, you're a herdsman. You live in a tent because you've got flocks and herds. Therefore, you're going to sojourn in this land. You're not going to just settle someplace. You're going to move. And guys, let me tell you something. If you've lived in the same place, maybe some of you have lived in your ancestral home and you live there until the day you die, you're still a sojourner because that place is what? Not your home, right? We're sojourners. We're passing through just like Isaac was told, pass through the land, I'll tell you where to live. And then he says, trust me, I will be with you, 
and I will go with you, and I will bless you. To believe that day by day, saints. That last one, number three, to believe that day by day, to put that tape in your head, to replace the tapes that says God doesn't care about me, the world's against me, everybody hates me, think I'll just, you know, eat dirt or whatever. Put that in your head. Number three, I will be with you, and it changes the way you live. It changes the way you interact with your fellow man. It changes the way you love people. Because you're not always concerned about protecting yourself and, and getting yours. Trust me, God says, I will take care of you. It's the promise that God heard, uh, Moses heard from God more than once. Right? Remember that? God told Moses several times, I, Hey Moses, I will be with your mouth. Hey Moses, I will be with you when you go and stand before Pharaoh. And I love that section in uh, Exodus 33, Moses is in the tent of meeting, and God says to him, he said, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Do you remember what Moses said after that? I love this, right? If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. Lord, please. He said, is it not in your going with us that makes us distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? Isn't that right? What makes us different as followers of Jesus? He does. Because he is with us. Because he is in us. Because he is going before us. Because he is our rear guard. Because he is our life. That's what makes the people of God different and distinct from all the other people on the earth. And Moses said, look, if you're not going, I'm not going. Right? Please, Lord, don't send me out of here, and then you don't come with me. So God's promises give us courage, and they cast out fear when we believe them. Look at the promises God gives to Isaac. Number one, this land is your land. He says it twice. I will give these lands to you and to your offspring. Twice God says that to Isaac. Number two, the oath, the covenant I swore to Abraham is also for you. It will be established in you, which means it will continue being established in you, Isaac. Number three, I will multiply your offspring. And he says, as the stars of heaven. Where does that come from? Right? Genesis 15, God said, Abraham, look at the stars. Count them if you can. Because that's how many offspring you're going to have. And now he says the same thing to Isaac. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven. And number four, all the nations of the earth will be blessed through your offspring. Why? Why, God? Why are you doing this for me? Isaac might have said. And God said, because... Abraham obeyed my voice. Wow, the power, men, the power of a patriarch obeying the Lord and the rippling effect, the trickling down, if you will, economics that goes down to the generations below because the patriarch says, I will obey God. And God says, you know what? Abraham obeyed my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. All that's just another way of saying Abraham followed me and kept my word. Hey, guys, women, boys and girls, is that attainable for us? Abraham followed me and kept my word. Is that attainable? Yes, it is, right? This is not something, you know, only the, the great men of God, the great women of God attain to. No, we can all follow God and obey his voice. Now, not perfectly. Abraham didn't do it perfectly. We've seen that. Isaac's not going to do it perfectly. We've seen that today. But we can follow him and obey his voice. And when we mess up, we repent and we keep going. What was the one thing God did not tell Isaac not to do? 
Yeah, don't lie about your wife, Isaac. God didn't tell him that. So here we go. Deception repeated. Same old story. Second verse, same as the first. Isaac does the same thing, exact same thing that his father did with a different Abimelech. A lot of people say, is this the same guy? Because this is like 80 years later. It could have been because people lived a long time in those days, right? But Abimelech was kind of like Pharaoh. That, you know, we called the Pharaoh different, you know, that was like a title for the Gentile kings. So there were a lot of Abimelechs. This is probably not the same dude, but, but he does the same thing his father did. Why? Jeremy preached, preached on this. Why did Abraham lie about his wife? Why did Isaac lie about his wife? Fear, right? It was nothing more than fear. Not fear for his wife. <laughs> That's where he really messed up. It was fear for his own skin. He was afraid that the men of Gerar would say, Wow, she's pretty attractive. And that's, uh, that's, that's the husband. We can take him out and we can have her. So he lied to protect himself, not, not his wife. What did God just told Isaac? Let's say it again. I will be with you and will bless you. Yeah, but Lord, I mean, I know you're going to be with me and you're going to bless me, but look how... Look how beautiful my wife is, and look at these men around here who are pagans, and they don't know you, and I'm sure, you know, we, we start making up all these reasons and justifying our own reasons for not listening to the Lord and doing what he's told us to do and trusting him, and that's what Isaac did. You know, you say, well, maybe he was thinking, maybe God will be with me, but he didn't say he would be with Rebecca. Well, obviously, that's not his thought process because he's not concerned about Rebecca, Right? He's concerned about Isaac. Now, by God's grace, you know, Isaac, I mean, Isaac's wife was not taken. But look, here's the, here's the bottom line. What's happening here? Faith leads to a fearless walk with God and before men, and fear leads to a faithless walk with God and before men. You say, well, can we have a faithless walk with God? Well, we're with God if we're born again. We're followers of Jesus. But, yeah, we can live faithlessly in a way that dishonors the Lord and does not promote the gospel and makes us continuously afraid of the circumstances of our lives because we're not walking by faith. Well, by God's grace, as I said, no one approached Rebecca. Nobody came along and said, hey, come with me, pretty lady. So that didn't happen. But one day the king was observing Isaac and Rebecca from a distance, and what did he see? The text here is kind of weird. It just says Isaac was laughing with Rebecca, right? But the, the subtext is they were more than brother and sister, and the king could see that in the way they were interacting with one another, okay? We don't have to let our imaginations run wild here, but obviously these were not siblings, right? And so Gerard is incensed about that. He calls Isaac in. He's upset because Isaac's deception could have what? It could have led to horrible consequences. That's why he says to the people, once he found out what was going on, he said, hey, none of you touch this woman or you'll surely die. He'd heard the stories. If, if uh, the other Abimelech was his father, he knew what was going on here. The principle here, folks, is that any deception among believers is dangerous. It's dangerous to our unity, but it could also be dangerous even to our lives 
Any deception among the followers of Jesus Christ is dangerous. Think about Achan in the battle of Jericho, right? I believe that's Judges 7, somewhere in there. Achan, remember, he was the soldier that after they had plundered Jericho, the walls had fallen down. He found some gold, some silver, some really sweet rags, some clothing, <laughs> nice threads. I'm showing my age. And he took them, even though everything in Jericho was supposed to be destroyed. Everything, every person, every animal. Who was the only person who was supposed to survive Jericho? What was her name? Rahab. Good job. Well, he saw that stuff and he took it. He told no one. No one saw, apparently. No one knew what he had done. Well, except God. If you read that story, it's horrifying. Not only were, Je were Achan and his wife and his children and all of his herds and flocks and, and stuff was, was called out and had to stand while they were stoned to death by the people of Israel. God's commanded that. Not only did they lose their life because of his sin, his deception, but remember the next battle after Jericho, Ai? They went in, but they didn't have God's blessing. The blessing of the Lord was lifted from them, and 36 soldiers were killed in that battle. 36 widows, 36 children without a father because of one man's deception. It's an incredible story of how what we do when we think no one is looking can have an effect on so many people. And there's a corollary principle to this. So the principle there is deception among believers is deadly. The corollary principle is the king was watching, he saw, is that this is this. We're being watched by the world. How many of you figured that out? That the world is watching you to see how you, who profess faith in Christ, oh, you claim to be a Christian, you claim to, you know, follow Jesus, and you read the Bible and all that. Well, just know that I'm watching you. That's what the world's doing, right? And that's what Gerard was doing. And he was watching Isaac and Rebekah, and he saw that Isaac had deceived him. It's dangerous to our gospel witness when we live a double life. Paul said, for none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. So what's not recorded here in this story is how did Isaac respond to Abimelech when Abimelech came and said, dude, why did you do this? Why in the world? What were you thinking? Lying to me about your wife, telling me she's your sister. Why would you do that? How did Isaac respond? We don't know, do we? Did Isaac repent? Did he ask this pagan king for forgiveness? The Bible's pretty clear that when we've sinned, we should repent, right? You should have asked for forgiveness. Well, we don't know because the Bible teaches that, but it's often missing and lacking even among believers. British newspaper published this true story. Politician, this is several years ago, William Beverbrook printed an insulting editorial about Edward Heath, who was a young member of Parliament. Okay, so he printed something in the paper insulting this guy, Edward Heath. A few days later, they ran into each other. Well, it was in a bathroom. And so the publisher was embarrassed about the incident. In fact, he says, my dear chap, I've been thinking it over, and I was wrong. Here and now, I wish to apologize. And Heath said, well, I wish you had insulted me in the bathroom and then apologized in the paper, right? 
You see, our words and our actions, especially the broader the audience to our words and our actions, the more, the more dangerous they can be. The more followers you have on social media, yeah, you get the point. You have a higher standard you're called to there. All right, let's, let's hit the last point, the sojourn blessed. The rest of this chapter, 12 through 33, and we, the last couple of verses we'll talk about a little bit next week. But the rest of this chapter is an account of how God blessed Isaac in the land that he told him to live in. He became rich. And in fact, verse 13, he became very wealthy. In fact, uh, you know, God is not an enemy of wealth. And he's not an enemy of the wealthy. We've talked about that before. I think an important verse to remember is Deuteronomy 8.18. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. What is the most important phrase there? Not power to get wealth. Remember the Lord. You shall remember the Lord. That's the key phrase. Are you wealthy? Remember the Lord. Are you making enough to get by? Remember the Lord. Are you popular or even famous? Remember the Lord. So what happens is a lot of times when people get to that status where they're wealthy, they're powerful, they're prominent, they're popular, they forget the Lord, right? And they, they say, I, I, I made it, you know, I'm at the top now, you know, who needs the Lord? I, you know, thanks for the help, Lord, I'm going to do this the rest of my life on my own because I've got power and prestige and stuff and I don't need the Lord. So that's the danger of wealth, of course, we know that. And that's why Jesus talked about money more than anything else. He talked about it. One single subject Jesus talked about with his disciples was money because he knew you can't serve God and money. You have to choose one or the other. You can have money, but you have to choose to serve God. You cannot have money, and you still choose to serve God, right? So here's Isaac. He's very wealthy. God makes it obvious to Isaac that the blessing that was on Father Abraham is now on son Isaac. And there are crops with a hundredfold return, right? We have flocks and herds and servants to help. And one of the greatest blessings of all, in fact, the rest of this chapter really centers on this, is they had what? They had water, right? Water was more important to herdsmen than gold. What are you going to do with gold in the desert, right? What are you going to do with gold in the wilderness? They had water because they had dug wells. In fact, they had so much water that the Philistines who had filled in all the wells that Abraham's servant had dug envied him. And then Abimelech finally tells him, hey, get away from here. You're, you're, you're too powerful for us. Just, just leave this area. That's why he says later, I thought you hated me. He says, go away from us for you are much mightier than we. So Isaac listened to Abimelech. He moved to the valley and God met with him there. It doesn't matter where we are. God's with us. He will bless us if we're walking with him. Now, if you move to a place, or you move to a position, or you move to a mindset that is apart from God, and I can do this on my own, this is all about me and my talent and my wealth and my, my looks and my education, then you're in trouble. But if you're trusting the Lord, it doesn't really matter where he places you, where he sets you down, he will bless you there. And the wells dominate the story in this valley. Isaac sets to redig in the wells his father had dug. I love that. He goes back to his father and the traditions of his father. And he says, you know, what my father had done, which gave him success, I'm going to do as well. I will redig these wells, wells that the Philistines had, had, uh, had filled in. But each well he dug was challenged by the herdsmen there 
who belonged to Gerar, the Philistine herdsman. He, he dug one and they, they seized it and they claimed it. So he, he didn't grumble, he didn't fight, didn't take up swords, he didn't kill the men. He just moved on. And he dug another one and same problem. They came and challenged him about that one. He moved on. Third time's the charm. He finally digs a well, and they don't challenge it. I guess he's far enough away. They don't care. And what does he call it? That great Old Testament word, Rehoboth. It's a great word in Hebrew, and it applies to us. It means, it means God gives me room. God has given me a broad place. God has given me a place where I can, I can breathe, and I can flourish here. Derek Kidner says his labor on the lost wells, the contesting of his early gains, the timely reliefs and encouragements, and the eventual reward of his tenacity make a story which still speaks to the man or woman of God engaged in the same struggle. I love, um, I love the character we see developing here in Isaac. I think he's already learned something from his lie to Abimelech. You know, I want to trust in the Lord there. I'm going to trust him with these wells. There one of these that well I dug, fine, I'll, I'll move to another place. And we see a character developing in, in him that the confidence he has that his life and his work is in the Lord's hand. Do you have that confidence that your life and your work is in the Lord's hands? I think you do. Because of that, God gave him the strength not to fight or resent the struggles or the opposition, but simply trust that as part of God's plan, and God gave him a broad place. You know, those of you who are here Wednesday night when we celebrated Dick and Sheila's 30-plus years of service to the church, I don't know how you felt, but I felt like that whole service was God just saying, hey, Antioch, I've got you, right? And I've had you from the very beginning. And I'm here, and I'm walking with you, and I'm blessing you. I have blessed you. I am blessing you. And I will bless you. And it just felt like I told Cindy, it just felt like God gave us a hug Wednesday night. I said, hey, keep going. Keep doing what I've told you to do. And trust me because I'm in this. I'm the one who's in charge of Antioch. It's not the elders. It's not any of us. I'm in charge of Antioch. And, and, and I, one of our key verses from the very beginning of Antioch is back, is in Philippians, which one, I don't remember the, the reference exactly, 3-6 or something like, I mean not Philippians, Revelation, where he says, you know, I have opened a door, right, that no man can close. And, and I, have, I have blessed you. So that's what's going on here, that God would give uh, Isaac a broad place and he would give it to him, but not until... Here are the struggles we had early on in Antioch and continue to have because there are people here. But, but God says, I will not give you that broad place, Isaac, until you've patiently and peacefully walked through some narrow places, right? When they take your wells, right? Or they take your land or whatever. And we see that in Antioch as well. I call, I call that divine grit. I like, I like grit, right? You know, there's a, it's an acronym, Guts Resilience Initiative and Tenacity, but... I like grit. grit. Divine grit does not come from self-reliance, but from faith. And faith that rests solidly on the promises of God. It was Leonard Ravenhill who said, I have no faith in my faith. My faith is in the faithful God. So divine grit, divine grit 
is trust and confidence in the Lord that rests on his promises and that says, I can, I can overcome by God's grace. You know, we see that in Isaac. You know who we're going to see it even more in? Yeah, Jacob. We're going to see some serious divine grit in Jacob. And you know who we're going to see even more in than Jacob? Who follows Jacob? Joseph. Wow, what a story of divine grit that we see in Jacob. And you know what? Divine grit's not just a patriarch thing. It's a man of God thing. It's a woman of God thing. So God met Isaac in Beersheba. He, he comes, he confirms his presence with Isaac, his promises to him, to his offspring. And how does Isaac respond? Well, I knew I had it, God. I knew I was the chosen child. I knew I was the golden boy. I mean, thanks for, you know, confirming that, but <laughs> I've got this, you know. No, he worships God. He builds an altar. He worships God. The final scene when Abimelech comes and finds him is a beautiful uh, picture of this verse. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Because Abimelech, the king of the Philistines, had told him to leave the area. You're too great for us, too powerful, get out of here. He comes with Phicol, the commander of the army, and, and asks for a covenant of peace. Look at what the pagan king said of Isaac and his God in verses 28 and 29. We see plainly that the Lord has been with you. You are now blessed of the Lord. Wow. May the world see plainly that God has been with Antioch. May the, God, may the Lord, world see, say, see plainly that the Lord has been with us individually and as families and singles. What can we take away from this passage? Number one, fear not, for I am with you and will bless you. It's a command, fear not, followed by two promises. Fear not because of this, I'm with you, I will bless you. I'm with you, I will bless you, therefore fear not. Fear not because of these things, right? Everybody get that? Fear is cast out when we believe that promise. Number two, deception is dangerous, sometimes deadly. For none of us lives to himself, none of us dies to himself. Our words and our actions have consequences for other people. Even when nobody knows except God. Achan, even when nobody knows except God, our lives matter to the unity of the body and to the, the gospel witness. Number three, divine grit comes from faith in God's promises. We do not give up when we face struggles or roadblocks in God's plan for us. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful today for this story. It reminds us that life's not easy. We've been called to difficult work. And yet we're, we're not alone in this, that you're with us. You said, I will go with you and I will bless you. You told us through Jesus, lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the earth, of the age. And so, Lord, we... We take confidence in that, and we take confidence in the fact that uh, we can trust you. Even in those places where we're tempted to lie, we're tempted to deceive, we're tempted to exaggerate, we're tempted to puff that resume or do other things that, 
that says that we don't really trust you to help us through life. Lord, help us in those moments to remember that promise. I will be with you. I will bless you. And to live by faith and not by fear. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Mark Fox of Antioch Community Church in Elon, North Carolina. Antioch meets every Sunday for worship at 10 o'clock a.m. at 1600 Powerline Road in Elon. You can download other messages by Pastor Fox at antiochchurch.cc. You can also learn how to order his books or subscribe to his blog at jmarkfox.com.